Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. the book club podcast where I've read the book so you don't have to. My name is Dave Warnicke and on each episode of this show we look at one of the classics and it's not just me looking at a classic live in London today. Would you please welcome to the stage my special guests this week. It's Matt Stewart and Phil Wang. Yeah! Yeah! Phil, you got a bigger chin than me. <laughs> I just have a nice jacket. They just like my jacket. <laughs> Hi, everybody. <laughs> Hi, everybody. <laughs> that was pretty strong. That's not bad. That's pretty good. Oh, yeah. I felt a bit sympathetic, but. <laughs> All the kindness is what matters. Um, lovely to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, in We don't usually do these live shows in armchairs. How do you feel about this furniture? Is this, ju- this is just for the British leg. You might yeah, but we flew these over. <laughs> <laughs> it was very expensive. Oh, they're lovely. Yeah, I might probably nod off. Yeah. Um, this is I, too comfortable. Honestly, I am worried about you nodding off in that chair. <laughs> <laughs> what, is, what, what do you call these? Like a baby Chesterfield or something? No? All right. <laughs> just trying to sound like I knew something there. No, that, that was impressive. I think people were just impressed. I think that, that, that Quietly sign, impressed. People going, oh, wow, Matt's more privileged than we thought. <laughs> he knows about different types of leather chair. <laughs> He's really done damages every man persona. <laughs> now, oh. this is a podcast. It's, it's about books. Phil. Oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I did not know that. Now, whenever I have a guest for the first time on the show, I usually ask them if they're much of a reader or if you've ever been much of a reader in your life. Because I started the show basically because when I was a kid, I read a lot, but then I really dropped off for a good couple of decades there. But uh, I've come back in strong with a podcast about books that forces me to read now. So that's, that's my tactic. But you much of a reader? Yeah, um, I, I hated it as a kid. I didn't yeah. really read um, as a child, um, which is weird because I was nerdy, but like not book nerdy. I was like video game nerd. Yeah. I was like video game and professional wrestling nerd. <laughs> uh, which is the opposite of reading. <laughs> WWE is the opposite of reading. Yeah. Um, and then sort of like, so, um, I started reading in my teens uh, Dan Brown novels. And I thought, yeah, some brown heads in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I thought, this is literature. Yeah. And I, I read like all of them. Um, Digital Fortress, that's actually the best. Um, yes. A fortress head in. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're getting Nisha and Nisha out there. <laughs> yeah, I went like deep. I went like deep cuts. And then I went to university, and I got uh, and then I, and I read a few more other novels. And I got I tried to catch up on my 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 literature um, gap. And then I, I and then Dan Brown wrote The Lost Symbol. Mm. And I was I was like, oh yeah, Dan's got a new book out. And I got it, and I couldn't get through like five pages. It was atrocious. I was like, I enjoyed this. <laughs> 
So that's my that's been my my journey. Yeah, and and I now mainly read. Uh, do you know Twitter? Oh, <laughs> I've heard of that. Some pretty wild stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's gotten better lately, hasn't it? Now yeah. that. <laughs> I actually think it's gotten better recently. Yeah, yeah now I'm, I'm very problematic. And yeah, now we're like a good guy yeah. back in charge. Yeah, that's right. We can say what we wanted to say. <laughs> uh, follow us at BookCheatPod. Okay, fantastic. <laughs> Some really hot takes about books in there. Who's Dan, Dan Brown's that illusionist guy, right? Who makes yeah. you? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. At the end of the book, you have his thoughts in your head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the whole story is in your head. Whoa. I don't know how he does How does he do it? I don't know. <laughs> Well, this week, uh, we're going a bit further back than uh, Dan Brown. We're going all the way back to The Invisible Man by H.G. Wells. Ooh. Thank you. Would you have done that no matter what I said? <laughs> you would have. I think they're doing an impression of The Invisible Man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so people suggest that I do these, Phil, and this one's been suggested by uh, Garrett Mitchell from Pennsylvania. He went tonight. <laughs> No, we've got Cara from Massachusetts, John O'Sullivan from Ireland. There's a chance. <laughs> wow. <laughs> a small dog was kicked up the back there. Uh, Sarah from Australia, Jeremy Webb from Melbourne. Is that yes? in? We know him, so I don't think it is. <laughs> uh, and finally, from Mildura, Australia, Lord Lowen Josephs. What the hell? Uh, from Mildura? From, from Australia? Yeah. A lord? Lord Lowen. Oh, wow. Mildura is like a, it's like a country town that grows oranges. They got a lord there? The lord. <laughs> lord of the oranges, yeah, yeah. Uh, but what I have ascertained by reading that back with people from US, Ireland, and Australia, no one from the UK wanted me to cover this, so. <laughs> Sorry, but I've chosen it. Is it an English book? It very much is, yeah. It's a London book. Oh, that's where we are. We are, yes. Any Londoners in? Yeah. <laughs> Not many. Not no. many. No. Very international town, London. Yeah. All right. Are you either of you familiar with the Invisible Man before we kick it off? I, I'm, I'm, not uh, I'm, not, I'm not invisible myself. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to find it hard to relate yeah, to the story. But, um, <laughs> I just want to see myself represented in the yeah. world. Also, wow. <laughs> As a modern man, I feel invisible. You know. <laughs> what about us? <laughs> That's why Mr. Musk has taken over to, to, make, us <laughs> yeah. up, to make us visible. Like, Finally <laughs> giving us a voice. Um, <laughs> I wasn't really aware of it as a book. I was aware of it slightly as an old horror movie, The Invisible Man, because I guess it got turned into a horror movie. But I always found it strange that it was a horror movie. It didn't seem um, that scary to me. And then I realized, I was, think, I was imagining the film The Invisible Man from the perspective of The Invisible Man. And I think because I'm deep down just such a perv, <laughs> I was like, that doesn't sound like a horror movie. That just sounds like the best day of your life. Um, and then I realized, oh, it's from the perspective of... Right, yeah. Um, For the, the people, people being, being uh, curved on. on. Being curved on, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, so, um, yeah, yeah. But I'm interested to see um, where it comes from. Because H.G. Wells, he's like all the War of the Worlds in that, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. In it? Oh, that's great. Is that a London? That's London, isn't it? Yeah, I just want, I just want Sorry, to... Sorry, that's London, isn't it? <laughs> I'm trying to make it, like, believable that you guys are in London right now. <laughs> yeah. For any listeners. Too right, geezer. Yeah. <laughs> Too right. <laughs> is that is that London? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's heaps London. That's yeah. heaps London. Yeah. 
I saw a movie last year called The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, mm. and there wasn't The Invisible Man in it, but there was An Invisible Man okay. in it because they couldn't get the copyright, apparently. <laughs> so, so the only copyrighted part of The Invisible Man is the definite article? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's a terrible lawyer that got on that deal. So in the story, I think the actual Invisible Man, whatever his name is, he's dead, and this new guy found his serum and now he's just an invisible man. <laughs> it's a great movie. I, yeah. I think it's... People don't like it, but I thought it was fine. Is that the one with Sean... That's the one with Sean Connery in it, Yeah, right? I think it's his last ever film. <laughs> is it? That is... That cannot be true. <laughs> so he didn't make a movie for, like, the last 20 years of his life? Yeah, he retired. Is it true? It was is so... it true? Yes. No. no. I think it was, yeah, it was so bad that he quit cinema. <laughs> <laughs> and you liked it. I thought, well, I went into it hearing that it sucked, and I'm like, ah, oh, this doesn't suck that much, which is good enough for me. <laughs> there you go. All right, The Invisible Man. It's a science fiction novel by H.G. Wells, originally serialised in magazine form in 1897. H.G. Wells, or Herbert George Wells. 1897, that's the year the VFL... Uh, football. Sorry, Phil. Uh, Matt likes to interrupt with, with uh, boring facts a lot. Right. Oh, mostly about. Were you that? bored by that fact, Phil? More confused. I didn't <laughs> know what it meant. What does it mean? VFL? Yeah, it's what the Australian Football League. I thought it was AFL. Oh, uh, VFL is the f football football. Yeah, oh, no, no, it's. Aussie, Aussie the VFL uh, became the AFL in 1990, but it began in 1897 as the VFL, Victorian Football League. Oh. Yeah, see, it's not boring. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, no, that's quite interesting. Now. Yeah, it's, pro it's best just to not ask questions. <laughs> uh, Herbert George Wells was born in Bromley in Greater London in 1866, and he died in 1946 at his home, which overlooked Regent's Park, which is right there. Oh, that's nice. Impressive. <laughs> uh, he wrote more than 50 novels, which is a lot, and dozens of 50? 50 novels. Ooh, too many. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think after 40, they're not good anymore. Yeah, they can't be, they can't be all good, can they? <laughs> and also, like, a, like in Australia, if you said, oh, this famous thing happened near here, everyone would be like, fucking hell, really? <laughs> in London, they're like, yeah. Yeah, of course. Something important happened every fucking five metres. Yeah. Doesn't matter. No one cares. Yeah, you can't lift your foot up without seeing one of those blue plaques that says, like, I don't know, Chris had a shit here in 1891. Like, oh, great, who's Chris? Yeah, you're obsessed with those plaques. I love those plaques. Uh, so, 50 novels, dozens of short stories, including, as you said, The War of the Worlds, The Island of Dr. Moreau, The Time Machine, which I've done on, uh, on the pod before, and The Invisible Man, which has led him to be dubbed the father of science fiction. And one thing I didn't know is he was a diabetic and co-founded the charity, the Diabetic Association, known today as Diabetes UK. Oh. There you go. What a guy. Uh, as for The Invisible Man, the work has been the basis for many adaptations across mediums, and the main character whom we shall soon meet has been commonly referenced in popular culture as an invisible man. <laughs> and we always start with a, the opening line to paint the, the scene with a bit of uh, Herbert George Wells' writing here. Chapter one is called... Who's Herbert George Wells? <laughs> Sorry, you might know him as H.G. Uh, Wells. H.G., uh, yeah. yes. Love H.G. <laughs> That's another niche Australian thing. All right. Chapter one, the strange man's arrival. Strange or estranged? 
No, just strange. Strange. Okay. Yeah, right, He's right. an estranged man. Yeah. It's an estranged man. <laughs> she <Yeah>. left me. <laughs> <laughs> this is the opening line. The, or the opening few lines here. The stranger came early in February, one wintry day, through a biting wind and a driving snow, the last snowfall of the year over the down, walking from Bramblehurst Railway Station and carrying a little black portmanteau in his thickly gloved hand. He was wrapped up from head to foot and the brim of his soft felt hat hid every inch of his face but the shiny tip of his nose. The snow had piled itself against his shoulders and chest and added a white crest to the burden that he carried. Wow. Oh, he was off. padding for words early, yeah. wasn't he? <laughs> this is good. Yeah, this is good stuff you're from in? Herbert. Yeah. You're in? Good Herbie. I, I really want to know what happens to this uh, shiny nose. Oh. <laughs> I'm going to talk about this nose. Oh, great. It's a, one of the main characters. <laughs> and we're off. We've just met as our unyet unnamed main character there, referenced by the narrator as the stranger. He's just arrived during a snowstorm at the, at the Coach and Horses, which is an inn slash bar in Iping. Iping? You're shitting me. <laughs> I literally downloaded an audio book read by an English person just to hear that word, and he said Iping. How, how are you spelling Iping? I-P-I-N-G? Is that Iping? Oh, I've never heard of I, that, that place. Maybe it's made up. <laughs> when, you, when you spelt it, the crowd murmured. Yeah. It was a memory. <laughs> Little conversations broke out everywhere. Yeah. It was amazing. When people thought you, you, you meant epping, I mean, there was just there was fury yeah. in the room. I, you could feel it. I you could that. feel the anger in the yeah. room when people I, thought it was epping. But then when you said I-P-I-N-G, everyone went, all right, we've misjudged. <laughs> Dave, yeah. we've been Thank too you. Harsh. Thank you. Yeah. That cost me an audible credit, so... Uh, we told... We're told that he staggers in more dead than alive and yells, A fire! In the name of humanity and charity, a room and a fire. Good in, stuff. That's in, the, in the name of what? And humanity? Humanity and charity. That's a nice way to enter a hotel, mm. isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> when I enter Premier Inn, in the name of humanity, <laughs> I want something on the top floor, please. <laughs> in the name of all that is right and holy. <laughs> Sir, please, we've told you you can't come to this Premier Inn anymore. Sounds like you've just seen the Hindenburg go down. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the humanity, a fire. Hey. Here you go. <laughs> So, so, yeah, he was... I thought he was saying there was a fire, but he just wanted a heater, basically. He wants to... He's cold. Yep. Yep. Because, yeah, right. This is the guy with the nose? This is the no nose man, yeah. We have had one character so far, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but here's another one. Hard to keep up. <laughs> here's another one. That... HG weaves a wild web. <laughs> yeah. But who is he talking about? <laughs> here's Mrs. Hall, the owner, who gives the man a room, despite the fact he looks quite strange being covered from head to toe with only a shiny nose showing. He's wearing a hat and large spectacles with side glasses that make him look like he's basically wearing goggles. But she welcomes him in because he doesn't haggle about price. He just wants a room and she wants his cash. When she offers to take his coat off, though, he refuses and instead stands dripping, melting snow all over the fireplace, which she worries might cause rust. <laughs> Watch okay. out for that. So the stakes start pretty low in this book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It starts as rust. So that's yeah. the... She's like, oh, no, this is going to cause a bit of rust. <laughs> she is shocked when he does remove his hat because she sees that, quote, 
All his forehead above his blue glasses was covered by a white bandage and another covered his ears, leaving not a scrap of his face exposed, excepting only his pink peaked nose. Wow. So he's wrapped up in bandages, this man, but he's got a nose sticking out. And when he eats, he covers his mouth with a napkin, which I think is just polite, but she thinks it's weird. I think I'm going to say he eats through the nose. He just, like, <laughs> just <laughs> snorts everything. Yeah. Do you have anything for dinner? And is it in powder form? Yeah. <laughs> it's big in London, isn't it, that diet? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially in bathrooms. People always have dinner in bathrooms. Yeah. I don't know why that is. She assumes that this man's been in an accident and tries to sort of ask him about it, but uh, he totally shuts her down and clearly doesn't want to chat. To be honest, he's a bit rude, bit rude. The only thing he really communicates to Mrs. Hall is that he's desperate to have his bags delivered from a nearby train station. He tells her, I should explain what I was really too cold and fatigued to do, to do before, that I am an experimental investigator. Oh. Huh. And I'd hear that and have a lot of follow-up questions. But Mrs. Hall says, indeed, sir. <laughs> and she is, quote, much impressed. <laughs> in fact, when other people in the town ask Mrs. Hall about her guest and what he does for a living, she says, oh, yeah, he's an experimental investigator. And this is a quote from the book. When asked what an experimental investigator was, she would say with a touch of superiority that most educated people knew such things as that <laughs> and would thus explain that he discovered things. <laughs> So she's got no idea what he does, but she's like, yeah, I know. Why don't you tell me what you think he does? <laughs> yeah. That's like when someone asks me what Bitcoin is. I'm like, um, if you were clever, you'd already know. Yeah. Mm. So I'm not going to debase myself by explaining this to you. Can you explain it to me? Oh, it's about like a blockchain and you buy a picture of a chimp and then, <laughs> and then you become very rich or very poor. Okay, yeah. There's no middle ground anymore, sir. <laughs> The stranger tells Mrs. Hall that he came to town to be alone to carry out more of his work. But Mrs. Hall doesn't really take a hint well and she calls in a guy called Teddy Hemphrey who has a job I've never heard of before but maybe in England this is a big job. It sounds pretty English. Rat catcher. <laughs> <laughs> any, any guesses, Phil, what he might do in an English-sounding job that's caught my fancy? Uh, um, or, um, um, is it a, 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 chim a chimney lad or, um... <laughs> A, um, a carriage twat or something like that. <laughs> Honestly, you are in the right ballpark. <laughs> Teddy Hemphrey is a clock jobber. <laughs> Great. Which I've never Great. heard of. I love a good clock job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, clock job. Yeah. Do you have your own personal clock jobber? <laughs> she calls around the clock jobber who apparently repairs and ma maintains clocks. And she sends in this clock jobber <laughs> into the stranger's room to have a look at his clock, but really she wants him to go in there and ask him, get him talking about what he's, what he's, what he's you know, there for. But uh, he totally shuts the clock jobber down as well. Wait, so, 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 the, 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 so the matron of the hotel mm. has sent in a clock jobber yep. into the bandaged man, the stranger's room, yep. in the hopes that sort of he'll get the down... The, the tea, the down low on why Yeah, this she's there. like, you've got the gift of the gab, you'll get him talking, you're a clock jobber. And he can't job, job his clock. He, he, he basically gets kicked out of the room. It's, it feels like they're building up the suspense so that we don't know what's going on, but the name of the book's The Invisible Man. Yeah. <laughs> that is only... 
part of the second half of the story, Matt. The first half is a completely unrelated story. The first half is called The Bandaged Man. <laughs> it's very different, very different. So the bandaged, or invisible man's, bag soon arrives and it contains all sorts of peculiar things for science experiments, including bottles of powders, London, <laughs> different coloured liquids of all sizes, and some are even labelled poison. Right. So the landlady's like, this is a bit weird. And for many months, he locks himself away in his room to carry out experiments. He doesn't go to church or communicate with anyone in the outside world. Sometimes Mrs. Hall hears bottles smashing, and when she expresses concern, he says, just add it to my bill if there's any damage. Just leave me alone. Don't worry about it. Right. She's, she's a bit worried. She walks in to give him dinner one day without knocking, and looks at, he looks at her, and when she thinks... And well, sorry, he looks at her and she thinks he seems to have very shallow eye sockets, which is oh. a weird thing to notice about someone. Well, she thinks he has shallow eyes. Yeah, sockets. she walks in and goes, Oh, I've got your soup. Oh, you've got shallow eye sockets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wonder if that satisfied her curiosity. <laughs> yeah. A little nugget. Yeah, just a little. Oh. And then he immediately puts his glasses back on and she goes, I must have been seeing things. There's no way he's got shallow eye sockets. <laughs> that would be weird. This lady is a bit nosy. I mean, I know, I know he's, he's a bit weird and creepy, but it feels a bit unprofessional how much he's trying to invade her, her guest's private space. Yeah, totally. In her, in her defence, he's also a bit nosy, because that's, um, <laughs> that's, that's really what... all there is of him, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Hey, that's the kind of thing you like, is it? <laughs> that, felt, that felt right. <laughs> So the whole town start to gossip about the still unnamed stranger. He certainly is a bit of a strange guy. I mean, he's not even going to church. Alarm bells. <laughs> There's all these theories about him being a criminal, laying low, or all sorts of stuff. The local town doctor, Dr. Cuss. Ooh. Dr. Cuss, yeah. Don't get him on a bad day. Just he's... insults you the second yeah, you walk yeah. in. Look at your stupid leg. Yeah. <laughs> That's fucking tonsillitis. <laughs> <laughs> but he's also very nosy. He's curious and goes to meet the stranger for himself. And we don't hear what is said, but we do know Dr. Cuss runs out of the room in terror. Apparently, while speaking with the stranger, his, uh, his hand had revealed that his sleeve was open, but completely empty. So he was gesticulating with an open sleeve. Where is this going? Yeah. <laughs> Who is this stranger? What? I know. I'm, there's so many questions. Dr. Cuss could see all the way down the open sleeve, but there was nothing in it, but it was open. And when Dr. Cuss expressed concern about the stranger having an empty sleeve before his very eyes, the stranger said, empty? It's an empty sleeve, is it? You say it's an empty sleeve? Which <laughs> <laughs> sounds like he's pouting for something. He then lifted the sleeve up and moved it close to the doctor's face and what felt like a finger, he couldn't see it, tapped him on his nose. So he basically just boops the doctor on his snoot. <laughs> and then the doctor ran away terrified. <laughs> and that's not the only weird thing that happens in town, guys. Soon the local vicar and his wife awake to the sounds of their vicarage being burgled in the middle of the night. But the weirdest thing is, when they go downstairs, there's no one in the room. Hmm, what is going on here? Just a floating nose. <laughs> <laughs> Later that morning, Mrs. Hall decides to kick out the stranger, partly because he's weird, but mostly because <laughs> he, he hasn't paid his bill for ages. 
So she invites the blacksmith over to change the locks when she sees him out of the room one day, which is pretty drastic. Mm. Uh, step, but the weirdest thing is the stranger walks out of the room as they start to change the lock. The same room that moments earlier was empty. I'm trying to get my head around. I know. It's, it's, what is happening? What on earth is going on? You're never going to believe the sweet reveal that's coming up. <laughs> the stranger then offer, offers Mrs. Hall money, which she's suspicious about because earlier he didn't seem to have any at all. Where did he get the money from? Is he the thief? But the room was empty. <laughs> it all builds to a head on Whit Monday, a Christian holiday. And to set the scene, we have what I believe is the most English paragraph I've ever come across. And being English, I was wondering, Phil, if you could possibly bring this scene to life for okay, us. I'll try. Before we get into it, is Whit Monday still celebrated? Oh, yeah, it's a big, it's a big deal. <laughs> yeah. Everyone gets fucking wanked on Whit Monday. <laughs> on a Whit Monday. Yeah. Oh, it's crazy, man. So this, this is... I should have checked before you can read. I <laughs> forgot to check pretty, that. Whit pretty Monday. bold assumption, but I'll try. Okay, so this, the, the, this is the most English paragraph. Yeah, but Steve, you think it's... To me, it seemed very, very English. This is set okay. the scene for Whit Monday for the next part of the story. It was the finest of all possible Whit Mondays. And down the village street stood a row of nearly a dozen booths, a shooting gallery, and on the grass by the forge were three yellow and chocolate wagons and some picturesque strangers of both sexes putting up a coconut shy. <laughs> I'll give you a oh, there's one bit more. There's yeah. one bit more, yeah, yeah. Okay. The gentlemen wore blue jerseys, the ladies white aprons, and quite fashionable hats with heavy plumes. Wadger of... <laughs> What's the name? Wadger. Wadger of the Purple Fawn. A purple Fawn is in quotation marks here. Wadger of the Purple Fawn and Mr. Jaggers. What? How old is... <laughs> How old is Mick Jaggers? Wadger <laughs> of the Purple Fawn and, and Mr. Jaggers, the cobbler, who also sold old who also sold old second-hand ordinary bicycles <laughs> was stretching a string of union jacks and royal ensigns which had originally celebrated the first victorian jubilee across the road yeah that's pretty english yeah. <laughs> so i think for some reason second-hand ordinary bicycles is the most english thing there <laughs> thank you phil wang most english guy ever I needed to hear that. Yeah, yeah. I think cobbler is also... Yeah. That's got to be maybe the most English job. What does it mean? Cobbler's shoes, isn't it? Right, yeah. yeah. It's about... <laughs> I, had a, I had a lovely cobbler put these together. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. His, his name's Nigel, so he just puts a big hand on there. <laughs> so now we've set the scene. It's Whit Monday, and on this day, many of the town are in the horse and stables where the stranger's been staying, including the incredibly named local village constable, Mr. Bobby Jaffers. <laughs> and led by Mr. Bobby Jaffers, they confront the stranger... Wait, it's a constable named Bobby? Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. That's a bit on the nose. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it is. That's all on the nose. It's, this is such a nosy book. Yeah. <laughs> not, as, not as much fair enough as... Yeah. I think, yeah, not, that's fair, that's fair, that's fair. Uh, so, 
led by Bobby Jaffers, the local constable, they confront the stranger over the robbery of the vicary. Cornered and frustrated, the stranger says, quote, you don't understand who I am or what I am. I'll show you. By heaven, I'll show you. Then he put his open palm over his face and withdrew it. The center of his face became a black cavity. Ooh. That's right. He's an invisible man. <laughs> you called him that. The title of the book wasn't just a coincidence. Ah, double bluff. They got me. They got you. Wait, is that, a, is that what a double bluff is? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. sure. <laughs> Everyone freaks out and Bobby Jaffers, the constable, goes to arrest the stranger over the robbery. In fact, most of the bar begin to descend on him. He says, okay, okay, I'll... What is the charge? What is the charge? <laughs> Being invisible? A succulent invisible man? <laughs> Do you know the succulent Chinese meal man? Oh, yes, 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 of course, yeah. Uh, Oh, yes. <laughs> I get it now. Yeah, it's yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. I'm so glad you know it because otherwise it's so, so baffling. Funny. It's so funny. It's... Like, Chinese food is great, but succulent just does not apply to any <laughs> Chinese food. None of it is succulent. It's all good. Oh, but in Australia it is. Yeah. It is succulent. Yeah, our stuff yeah. is truly succulent. <laughs> he says, okay, I'll give up, I'll give up. But then he just starts stripping off his clothes. Get naked. Always a good tactic to stop a fight. Get naked. That is, a, that is a classic move. You see that a lot outside a pub late at night. There's a fight. One guy will always take his shirt off. Yeah. You don't have that here? <laughs> Only on wet Mondays. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't ever know what, quite, what the logic is there. It's, Have you seen that happen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, come on, then. I think, I don't know what it is. I think it's just to show that you, you're physically active or that you're doing... You have to do something with your hands. Yes. That's always a problem when you perform. You don't know what to do with your hands, right? So it must be the same when you start to fight someone. It's like, where do I, where do I put these? You can't put them in your pocket, so that doesn't look very aggressive. So you have to... <laughs> and it's, it's never like, they're never ripped. Like, you may, it makes sense if they look, they look yes. like Grand Skipper Willie underneath. You're right. Yes. And they're ripped. But they're not. They're always just flabby guests. So I'm now less scared of this fight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Before you had a shirt, and I was wondering, what's under there? Yeah. Now I've seen it, you're like, oh, that's a bit shit. <laughs> yeah. I could take this guy. Maybe they're, you know, maybe strategically less to grab onto, you know? Maybe that's it. Yeah, if yeah, it comes to a wrestle. That makes more sense. Yeah, you don't want to damage your shirt, you know? Oh, yeah. Not this thing. Look at it. Beautiful. I get completely naked when I fight. Yeah. <laughs> they're not grabbing onto anything. Well, I mean, they could, I guess, but... <laughs> Actually, no, maybe that's not such a good idea. <laughs> so, he gets naked. He takes his clothes off, and of course, he disappears because he is an invisible man, and the town lose their grip on him, and then the invisible man... <laughs> he took his shirt off. <laughs> no, you, are, you did say that, yeah. <laughs> Then the invisible man starts hitting them. He starts taking them out one by one and they can't Whoa. see him. And Bobby Jaffers falls down and even hits his head. No, Bobby oh, Jaffers. No. no, Bobby Jaffers. Bobby Jaffers. And just like that, though, the invisible man is gone. He escapes into the night. But the story isn't over yet. <laughs> Imagine if it was. <laughs> That's it. He comes across a man that is described in the book as a tramp. His name is Mr. Thomas Marvel wearing shabby clothes and a hat, sitting in a ditch outside of Iping, Iping, 
I'll edit later. <laughs> he sits there considering whether to swap the shoes he's wearing for the larger but more waterproof ones he's just found in the ditch on the side of the road. He's like, okay, these fit better, but those are waterproof. He well, is... I'm, I'm confused. The Invisible Man, man is now in a bush. No, this is a different guy. This is a different guy. We've met a new this, character. Okay, this and is... you're never going to believe it. Gonna, he's going to cross paths with the oh, Invisible okay, Man. Okay. Yeah. And he, he runs a tram. He is a tramp. Oh, he's a tramp. Oh, okay, okay. I thought he was driving a tram. Yeah. <laughs> and he just went, fuck this, and he walked off into a bush and buying new shoes. Okay, 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 okay. So he's a completely new guy sitting in a ditch, just having a, a conversation with himself about shoes. Okay. okay. He's pondering this out loud when a voice from an, in, an invisible location, you never know, believe who this is, starts talking back to him. It's the Invisible Man, but Thomas Marvel is freaking out. Is he drunk? Is he having visions? Where is this voice well, coming from? he's sort of having the opposite of that, isn't he? Am <laughs> <laughs> I having soundings? What's going on here? Where's the voice coming from? And to bring this scene to life, I was wondering if I could lean on Mr. Matt Stewart, famed for his English accent work. If you wouldn't mind. Too right, Cobber. Absolutely. So this, this, this is the character of uh, Tom, Thomas Marvel. You'll be reading the parts in quotation marks and I'll be reading the, the uh, sort of descriptions in between here. Okay. So I'm a tramp. So you're in, the, in a ditch on the side of the road and uh, you've just started hearing a voice and you're wondering what the heck is going on. So this is Mr. Thomas Marvel's reaction to a voice talking to him. <clears throat> what, kind, what kind of English accent? Just, just whatever? Yeah, just feel it, I reckon. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Go for like Birmingham. Well, <laughs> do you know, how's your, how's your eye-ping accent? Oh, I could do Dudley. I'm from Dudley. Yeah. But I can only say Dudley. Dudley. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, yeah. Let's try and get into it. Yeah, yeah it's great right. to watch an actor hey, prepare. Hey, hey, right. <laughs> I'm off my blooming chump. <laughs> It's no good, it's fret about them blasted boots. I'm off me blessed bloomin' chump. Oh, it's spirits. <laughs> Fantastic. That, absolutely, I'm feeling the character so much more. You bring it to life. But to prove that he's real, the Invisible Man starts throwing rocks at Mr. Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only way. And this is how Mr. Marvel takes that. It's a fair do, I don't understand it. Stones flinging themselves, stones talking. Put yourself down, right away, I'm done. <laughs> Finally, the Invisible Man convinces Mr. Marvel, and needless to say, Mr. Marvel is impressed. I'm dashed. <laughs> if this don't beat cop fighting, most remarkable. And there I can see a rabbit clean through you, half a mile away. Not a bit of you visible, except you haven't been eating bread and cheese. <laughs> Wait, what? Why do I say you, you haven't been eating bread and cheese? <laughs> bread and cheese. <laughs> bread and cheese. Bread and cheese. Brancher, branches. Bread and cheese. Bread, bread and cheese. Bread and cheese. Bread and cheese. Okay, okay, okay. okay thank you. Fantastic work. Yeah, I don't know what the... Yeah. No, no, I'm just So that saying. wasn't... Because if, if that was a good English accent, you probably would have been able to understand it. <laughs> so I, I thought... I really believed in myself until right at the end there. Yeah. No, it was, it was fantastic. It's fantastic. Mm. Brendan, if anything, Brendan Choi was... I was getting, <laughs> getting back to...
back into Australian years, so I'm going yeah, back well, to the original of bread and cheese. Bread and cheese. Bread and cheese. Nah, yeah, how, do you, how would you say it? Um, bread and cheese. <laughs> bread and cheese. Bread. <laughs> Beautiful. So what, what he's saying there is he can see straight through the Invisible Man, except he notices that he's been eating bread and cheese. So he can see, whenever he eats, the food just sort of sits there, uh... sort of floating... Digested. If he can see it that clearly, he mustn't chew enough. Yeah. Right? Yeah, keep chewing. A, at one point, because I mean, he, I presume he has um, the same digestion system we all do. At what point does a food become invisible and part of. Yeah. No, I'm not, I'm not trying to be funny. It's just a, it is like a philosophical question for me. At what point does the food become <laughs> yeah. the body? What point does it. Is it like as it gets absorbed? Do you get to watch it like it's slowly brown and then the bits are. <laughs> Can you see his shit? Yeah, because that, that bit's not absorbed. That's the bit the yeah. body doesn't want. So it's just sort of sitting there. Oh, and gross. you can tell he hasn't had a shit today. It's weird. It's gross, isn't it? It is gross. No, this is a horror story. Yeah, yeah. That's horrifying. You'd see the bladder as well, I suppose. There'd just be a pouch of urine sort of floating. Oh, the room's invisible. There's nothing in the room apart from a hovering bladder. Yeah. What's that bag of piss doing over there? What's that doing? <laughs> Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. But the Invisible Man enlists Marvel, Mr. Marvel, to, to help him, promising to reward him, but also kind of threatening him and saying that he has to help him. Doesn't really give Mr. Marvel an option. The pair return to Iping where Marvel breaks into the Invisible Man's old room and steals his notebooks. The locals have taken a peek in the notebooks, but it's all written in symbols and code and they don't understand. So they can't just look at his experiments because it's all written in this code. Marvel turns up and the vicar and doctor let him into the room where the notebooks are. And in the process, they also unknowingly let in the invisible man. That's why he got Mr. Marvel to go there. The doctor and the vicar ask Marvel to leave, and he does, but then the invisible man starts beating them up and takes his stuff back. (laughs) He's, uh, but Mr. Marvel goes on to write a very successful series of comics about, yeah, his, yes. about these incredible <laughs> yes, characters. This is the in- inspiration right here. The town then blame Marvel and start chasing him, accusing him <laughs> of being the invisible man, despite the fact they can clearly see him. <laughs> there he is, the invisible man! You said the town start chasing him. Yeah. Far out. Towns, towns used to be so much better at, like, d- d- agreeing on actions. Yeah. yeah. Coming together. Yeah, they come together, like, we're all going to be this guy out. We're all going to chase him out of town. <laughs> Where is our sense of community gone? Yeah. yeah. When was the last time you chased someone out of town? Together. Yeah. With your neighbours. Let's bring that mm. Britain back. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't chased a hobo out of town in years. (laughs) (laughs) So people start chasing the thief and then an invisible presence, a man if you will, starts taking them out one by one. He also breaks every window at the inn and cuts the town's telegraph cable. He's uh, a real menace, this guy. Eventually Marvel and the invisible man leave town completely. 
But a bit of tension develops between the Invisible Man and his new helper, Marvel, because Marvel's like, can I quit? <laughs> I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> I keep getting punched and run out of town. Yeah. This is no, no way to make a living. But, yeah, he was used to working by himself as well, you know. Hard to all of a sudden have a boss. Yeah. Oh. He was freelance until yeah. a couple it's, of days ago. It's especially a boss, who, a boss who can be looking over your shoulder at any time. Yeah. You're like, <laughs> nightmare. Yeah. It's like coming out of COVID, you start to be allowed to work at home, and all of a sudden they want you back at the office. It's just like that. <laughs> and when was the last time you worked in an office, Matt? It's <laughs> been a little while. Yeah. Um, Trying to do some relatable stuff there. You know, like you. <laughs> you plebs in the audience. <laughs> so Marvel's like, let me quit, I hate this. But Mr. Invisible won't let him quit because he needs someone to carry all his stuff, like the notebooks and the experiments, because if he were to carry them himself, people would see the notebooks just floating down the street. So he needs a regular person to carry his stuff. Right, but what if he ate them? Mm. Then they just sort of hover here until they turn into shit, remember? <laughs> so that's a bad idea. But Marvel's not keen on the idea, and even when Marvel's like, quote, I'm really bad, honestly, you can do better, the Invisible Man won't let him leave. So he twists Marvel's arm behind his back and even threatens to kill him if he breaks the Invisible Man's trust. He really begins to show his angry and violent side over these chapters. Marvel manages to briefly escape, however, and runs into a pub called the Jolly Cricketer. Oh, that's nice. It's nice, isn't it? Screaming that there's an invisible man after him and they've got to let him in and lock the door. By now, the news of the invisible man has hit the paper, so this isn't received with the suspicion that you'd think it would. <laughs> They're like, all right. They let him in, but they also let in the invisible man. Ah, that's the thing about the invisible man. I know, he's there, right? Hot, hot on his heels. And he's like, Marvel, you betrayed my trust. So a brawl breaks out after the invisible man attacks Marvel. And one of the guys at the pub actually pulls out a gun and fires it where he thinks the Invisible Man is. That's such a bad idea. <laughs> such a clearly bad idea. Yeah. And he goes, I'm sure I hit him. I'm sure I hit him. <laughs> and the has got a gun problem. Yeah. I don't feel safe out there. <laughs> I went to the Jolly Cricketer. Oh, I wanted to, but I, you know, I'd be afraid of getting shot. Honestly, not good enough. <laughs> Well, they fire the gun and the guy's like, I swear I got him. They start feeling around for the dead body. <laughs> well, they can't feel him anywhere. Yeah, so blood would be invisible as well if, if he didn't no. get shot. Oh, why? Which we'll find out now. So, the story Inside then... Inside the veins, it's invisible. Yeah, but outside. Outside the veins, it's visible. Mm. Maybe, maybe it's, it's the same with piss and shit. Yeah. Maybe Inside maybe... the veins, it's invisible. <laughs> <laughs> Well, blood, blood isn't red unless it oxidizes. So maybe, oh. maybe it's the oxygen, because the oxygen is, an, is, an, is out of the body. That's the visible thing. Right. So when the blood contacts the oxygen, then you get to see it. That makes sense. It's or good it's to have a scientist on, on yeah. stage with us. Yeah. <laughs> the, the shit we would see, though. You would see the shit hanging around, yeah. The floating bits of corn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is just floating there. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the story then cuts to the house of a man called Dr. Kemp. It's a new character here, Dr. Kemp, a wealthy old doctor who hears some shots ring out at the nearby pub, the Jolly Cricketers. Just moments earlier, he'd been reading the newspaper that included accounts of an invisible man, and he laughed at how stupid people are for believing this sort of stuff. Invisible man, as if that could be true. Then there's a ring at the door. 
But his servant reports that when she opened it, no one was there. Or were they? <laughs> Nick knockers. Yeah. Do you have Nick knocking here? Yeah. What? No, do we? I mean, we have Whit Monday, but I've never heard of uh, <laughs> Nick knockers. What? Yeah. So, is that like as a prank people knocking on Yeah, yeah. What do you call that? What? Knock down ginger. <laughs> okay, that's the most English thing you've heard. <laughs> Ooh, knock down ginger. <laughs> I'm, never, I'm learning so much. Knock down ginger, wow. I don't know what the etymology of that is. Sorry? Knock a door wrong. Knock a door wrong. Yeah, I, uh, Ron. Knock a door and run. I think that's um, a very literal description of the. Okay. Uh, Right, you're just describing what you're doing there, okay. <laughs> I get it. So no one's there, or were they? He goes to the door, no one there? Because walking back into his room, Dr. Kemp notices some blood on the floor that he swears wasn't there before. <laughs> Suspicious. Yeah, there's also some blood on the doorknob. He's like, oh, I didn't think that was there before. <laughs> when he gets back into his bedroom, he sees some floating bloody bandages. And he's like, I could have sworn it. When I left those bandages, they weren't just floating in the air. Something's happening here. He hears a voice that tells him not to panic. It's the invisible man who addresses Dr. Kemp by his name. That's because he actually knows Kemp. He's accidentally stumbled into the doctor's house looking for medical supplies and realised, hey, I actually know that guy. It's Dr. Kemp. He tells the doctor that his name is Griffin. It's the invisible man, the stranger. His name is Griffin. And they went to school together. The doctor can't place him. He's like, Griffin? <laughs> so Griffin says, I was a couple of years below you. He's like, no. He starts describing himself. He's, uh, he's like, I won a medal for chemistry at university college. And he I think the doctor pretends to remember him, basically. Yeah, at that point, there's a lot of pressure on him to remember this guy. You know, there's a lot of stake. Yeah. There's an invisible, murderous he's man. Like, oh, yeah. I was at school. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was a big fan of you. Yeah, I wasn't invisible back then. <laughs> Griffin says that he needs the doctor's help because people are after him and that his partner stole his money. That's a lie, but he's like, you know, he's trying to win over Dr. Kemp. Kemp agrees to give him a room for the night and gives him his words that he won't tell anyone about the stranger's presence. But, um... The, what Griffin says, with Kemp's help, we can work together to further my research, he says. Basically, he asks him to partner with him, with his, uh, his science. Griffin goes for a sleep in Kemp's bedroom and locks the door, which is pretty rude, kicking a man out of his bedroom. <laughs> he's exhausted, but thankfully the bullet just grazed his wrist, so he's not dying. But that's what the blood is from. And apparently when the blood drips out, he explains it coagulates, and that's why you can see the blood. Hey. Coagulates. Yeah. But, so it just gets, like, sticky. Yeah, sort of pulls and then, then slowly turns into just normal blood. Okay. Yeah, I think he's kind of glazing over. If he... Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is a bit of that. There is a bit of that. Whilst Griffin sleeps in his uh, room, Kemp reads the newspaper articles again about an invisible man terrorising people and decides to write a letter to a guy called Colonel Adai. We don't know what he says in the letter, but we might come to that later. <laughs> so Kemp has written a letter. The next day, Griffin explains to Kemp how he became invisible. This is how it, how it all. Griffin was a medical student at the same time as Dr. Kemp, but he switched to physics because he was interested in light and became obsessed with finding out a way to make objects invisible. He left London and, uh, six years ago and became a teacher and a student, but more importantly, he continued his research into making stuff invisible. 
He got close to working out a way, but he was worried someone would steal his idea. He thought that his professor at the university where he worked would try and claim co-credit. And he's like, I'm not giving that guy co-credit. So he went off on his own. He spent three years researching, and he needed money to continue this research, so he stole from his father. But this is tragic. It turns out the money didn't belong to his father, so his dad shot himself. <laughs> it was awful. <laughs> then there is no explanation about where the money came from or anything further than that. <laughs> that's, that's not on Griffin. No, that's not on Griffin. He wasn't to know. He didn't know, yeah. He didn't know. <laughs> but he does say to Dr. Kemp, I don't feel bad about it. He does say that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he doesn't have to be a dick about it. Yeah. So he's not a great person. He's not a great person. After that, he moved into a cheap boarding house in London where he continued his experiments. The boarding house was said to be in a slum near Great Portland Street. <gasps> oh, which is wow. where we are today. That's amazing. That's right, we're in the slum right now. There used to be slums here. Yeah. It's also shiny. Yeah. But amazing that we are here. Where that was. So he first he, he came up with this theory I can make stuff invisible. He first tested it on a piece of wool, which is not that exciting. <laughs> and then he's like, great, I made that disappear. How about I make this cat disappear? The his neighbor's cat wandered into his house. And he's like, all right. Which he made it completely invisible except for the eyes, <laughs> which just sort of floated along, <laughs> which is a little bit weird. Has he described how he's administering the invisible? Is it a cream? Or is it like... <laughs> It's a topical solution. Yeah. yeah. I, think, I think it's a liquidy type thing. Back yeah. to the affected area. So it's like, is it a paste or something? Has he said, or is it like a pill? No, I think he applies it to the area, oh, okay. yeah. Like and then it slowly, bit by bit, becomes invisible, yeah. Oh, Except for the sense. eyes. Yeah, like... balming the eyes would be horrible. Yeah, that'd be unpleasant. Wait, so uh, the invisible man's eye is invisible? Yes, yes, they are invisible. He got so better. So he's, he's done his eyes. Yeah, he got better at it somehow, yeah. Okay. I guess maybe it's like putting in a contact. At first you're like, <laughs> yeah. But after a couple of goes, it's fine. Because didn't, didn't before they say that he, he had shallow eye sockets? What, is that, what does that mean? I think that there, there was nothing behind there. She was looking into it. Going, Wouldn't that oh. be deep eye sockets? <laughs> well, shallow eye sockets just means sort of your eyeball is very flush with your face. Right. Right, and a deep eye sockets is, is recessed into your skull more. Right. So maybe, is this answering your question? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I guess it's, e it's easier. I guess it's easier. Maybe it's because it's easier if you have a shallow eye sockets because then you just... You put the paste on in one sort of swoosh. Yeah. Whereas if you had deep eye sockets, you'd have to kind of go in there. Oh, oh. yeah. Look, yeah. I, I, I'm not saying it's pleasant. I'm just saying these are the harsh realities of being an invisible man. <laughs> things you have to think about. So he makes the cat invisible, but then the cat's owner becomes suspicious. She's like, you've, you've done something to my cat. <laughs> and she reports him to the landlord saying, I think this guy killed my cat. And he's like, I swear I didn't kill your cat. He's just invisible. <laughs> and then the landlord's like, you've been doing weird experiments in there, killing cats. I'm going to evict you. And then he lashes out and, like, beats the landlord. And then he's like, oh, my God, I'm going to get arrested. The heat's on. I need to disappear somehow. What can I do? I'll quickly make myself invisible. And then I'll burn down the apartment <laughs> to cover my tracks. Yeah, that, that's a good idea. The police just turn up, the whole place is burned down. Well, nothing to see here, I guess. <laughs> False alarm, boys! <laughs> <laughs> just a run-of-the-mill burnt-out shell. Yeah, this is fine. <laughs>
I can't get over these cat eyes. Like, are they, we said, like, can you just see the front of them or you see the whole ball and then the, you know, the tube thing at the back floating through the air? I'm seeing the see? ball. Yeah, I'm seeing just the two balls floating around. Like a, like a video game hasn't loaded properly, you know, just like these balls, <laughs> these eyeballs floating around. Would you see the, the blink? Probably oh, not. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, when, when the cat blinks, do so the eyelids make it disappear? Whoa. Oh, no, but no, that you... Oh, my God. <laughs> You're blowing my mind here. <laughs> so he makes himself invisible. At first, he thinks, it's so... It's great. Think of all the fun and mischief I can get up to. But, um, you know, he goes up to people, for example, in the street and knocks someone's hat off. <laughs> Just a bit of fun. I feel like after you've burned down an apartment, <laughs> yeah. knocking a guy's hat off is going to step back. You're like, oh, <laughs> yeah, got to set that hat on fire or something. Guys, being invisible has its drawbacks too. First of all, he complains that his feet are invisible, so it's hard to walk downstairs. <laughs> you gotta watch where you're going. Uh, dogs... do, you, do you need to look at your feet when you go downstairs? I think if they weren't there, it would be a bit of a strange feeling. Ooh. But you're not looking a lot of the time, are you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you just feel it, wouldn't you? You just feel it, you yeah. Feel it. I think you feel it. I mean, this is not helping us, just trying to pivot yeah, back we're, on. we're all just acting out a walk here. Mm. It's only if it's like slippery that I'm looking at my feet going down steps. Usually I, I, I back myself. You yeah, know? you're like, I can feel this, I'll feel this. Yeah. I'm good at it until I'm thinking about it. It's happened to me a few times I've been going downstairs and I'm like, wait. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, now I'm in my head about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So maybe that's what's happened to him. <laughs> He's so aware of himself. Yeah. yeah. Now, you know that's going to happen later today. Oh no. oh, no, there are some stairs down there. Oh, no. Oh. Dogs also notice his smell, so he has to avoid dogs because they just start sniffing the air, and he's like, oh. He can't wear clothes if he wants to stay unseen, and in England, that means being very cold all the time. And he gets the sniffles. <laughs> oh, that's why his nose becomes visible, is it? No. Okay. No. No, but it... But he does sneeze a lot, and that's bad, because people hear a sneeze from... Where did that come from? Yeah, we don't like to hear a sneeze in, in England. <laughs> We're very angry. Yeah, yeah, you hate a sneeze. Wouldn't you just assume it's a ghost in England? <laughs> yeah, we just assume it's a ghost and move on with our day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's just a ghost. Don't bother. It's a very haunted country, England, yeah. don't you think? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Loads of people have died here. Yeah. <laughs> Jack so... the Ripper died here. Yeah. The people he killed. <laughs> Here. You could go on. Yeah. <laughs> he also can't wear shoes and has to make sure not to cut his feet on uh, surfaces. And his footsteps can be seen as, uh, as can snow when it builds up on his body. So he's got to think about it more than he thought he, would, he had to. Also, navigating crowds in London is difficult. So it was a bit of a nightmare. But he did come up with an ingenious way to cover his face. He broke into a theatrical supply shop in London and stole a fake nose. So that's what the plastic mm. nose is from the start. The owner that is the... ingenious. <laughs> it didn't go, didn't go quite to plan, though, because the owner of the costume shop almost caught him and pulled out a gun when he kept hearing noises in his store. They've got a gun problem here, yeah. I tell you. <laughs> Everyone's got guns back in the day. Yeah, but uh, Griffin knocked him out and tied him up, so problem solved. <laughs> Griffin's, like, knuckles at this point must be red Yeah, Yes, he's punched so many people. <laughs> all his punches. Yeah, he's just... And he, no, he's not got gloves on because they'd be visible. He's, he's yeah. a bare knuckle. A bare just... n- yeah. 
How is it not just blood? How, how are his bloody knuckles not visible? Just floating right? bloody knuckles. Yeah. That's terrifying. He then went to Iping where our story started and hoped to work quietly in his room to try and find a cure that would reverse his invisibility. But before he could find a cure, the stupid townsfolk interrupted him. Now with Dr. Kemp's help, remember he's talking to Dr. Kemp in his house, he plans to get revenge and go on a reign of terror. And Kemp's like, sorry, what? <laughs> I'm helping you do what? Well, so revenge on, revenge on who? He's, he's done everything. He's done all the bad stuff, hasn't he? Yeah, but he's like, anyone who's wronged him. Right, like, okay. Like Marvel didn't help him and... Mrs. That's, that's harsh. Marvel really tried his best. Yeah, he tried his best. Yeah, he's like, I'm going to go on revenge against the world. So they're in Dr. Kemp's study, where, remember, Griffin, the Invisible Man, has been telling the story and revealing his extremely dark side, and Griffin thinks he can hear someone approaching, but Dr. Kemp's like, I can't hear anything. Sit down and don't look out the window. Step, step over here. <laughs> Griffin realises that Dr. Kemp has also betrayed him, and he's furious and also sad. Oh, as so, he's putting his lamp on the list. Yeah. Oh, oh no. You can see the tears. <laughs> And there's only one thing to do. He starts to strip. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Kemp tries to capture him before he becomes fully invisible. And even when aided by three men, including Colonel Adai, the police captain who got Kemp's letter, they fail and Griffin escapes. He gets fully nude and wanders away. Getting naked is stripping is such like a funny like <laughs> ritual that a supervillain has to do. <laughs> like, oh, you're gonna regret this. <laughs> no, 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 don't zip. Just calmly <laughs> taking off his belt. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> oh, not the socks. Oh. So he runs away, Dr. Kemp tells the police, Griffin is insane and plans on going on a violent spree. We've got to track him down. We can probably use some dogs, she says. But they're too late, at least for one man called Wicksteed, who's soon found murdered by the Invisible Man. There aren't any witnesses, so we're not 100% sure what happened, but they do know that it was Griffin. So he's killed someone now. And he confirms his bloodlust when he sends a letter the next day, which is kind of his uh, manifesto, it reads... The game is only beginning. There is nothing for it but to start the terror. This announces the first day of the terror. This is day one of year one of the new epoch, the epoch of the Invisible Man. I am Invisible Man the first. <laughs> to begin with, the rule will be easy. The first day, there will be one execution for the sake of example. A man named Dr. Kemp. Oh, no. He's like, Kemp, you betrayed me. I'm going to kill you. So he marks Dr. Kemp as his first victim after Kemp betrays him. He also sends the letter without a stamp, so Kemp has to receive his own death threat, has to pay, sorry, to receive his own death threat, <laughs> which is brutal. Is that, like, is that really? Is yeah, that but really, back then, yeah, with no stamp, you have to pay like 2p or something <laughs> to, to get it delivered. He's like, oh, no worries, the mail for me, fantastic. He opens it up and it's like, oh, no. <laughs> it's the new epoch. <laughs> this is awful. <laughs> So Kemp locks himself in his house with a revolver and tells the p police that he's going to use himself as bait. But Griffin, the invisible man, finds out and just starts smashing all the windows of the house. <laughs> Adai, the police officer, pulls a gun and goes after Griffin, but again, this is not the best idea, and of course, Griffin easily grabs the gun and shoots Adai. So, oh, the do 
Adai. Yeah, who's the police officer, the, oh, the captain. He's like, yeah. I'll sort him out. I've got, I'm a cop. I'll, I've got my gun. And of course, he, as soon as he pulls it out, the invisible man just grabs it <laughs> and shoots him. I, Dr. Think, Ken- didn't, I thought cops don't have guns here. Not anymore, not after this debacle. (laughs) (laughs) Just in case there's invisible men. (laughs) Very, very embarrassing (laughs) year for the the Met. Uh, It is embarrassing because Dr. Kemp sees, he looks out the window and sees this and runs away from his house, pursued by the invisible man, or he assumes he's pursued by the invisible man. Kemp tries to get help from his neighbour, but they lock the door and refuse to let him in. Wait, 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 so who's locked where? So Dr. Kemp's like, all right... He, now Griffin, the Invisible Man's got a gun, I should run away. Okay. So he sprints to his neighbour's house and he's like, let me in, let me in, but they're just like, no, lock the door. <laughs> oh, right. He's like oh, banging on the door, there's an Invisible Man out here. So he just keeps running because that's all he can do and he sees some road workers up ahead and he yells to them, I'm being chased by an Invisible Man. And they're like, oh, you're darling, and then give him a little whistle. <laughs> yeah. <and> get your... <laughs> you're you all just... <laughs> <laughs> Griffin, the invisible man, grabs Dr. Kemp, but one of the road workers wildly swings his shovel and it hits Griffin. Oh, sucky. And Dr. Kemp knows this because he, he had, uh, Griffin had his hand around Kemp's throat, but it suddenly loosens and falls away because he's been hit with a shovel. Then a crowd descends. The town shows. Yes, here they are. Yeah. The cavalry's arrived. Yeah, the mob here. And they start just kicking the shit out, out of where they think the invisible man is on the ground. Just doing a lot of air stomping. I love mob justice. Yeah. Bring it back. Bring it back. And he's, now, he's down and out. Dr. Kemp says, stop, stop, you're going to kill him. But it's too late because he checks the invisible man, man's body and he's not breathing. He's now dead, and with the crowd still watching on, the body starts to slowly become visible again. The effects wear off, and yes, he is still naked at this point. (laughs) So there's a crowd just standing by, a naked man is slowly appearing. Oh, and the cold as well. Yeah. (laughs) Nightmare scenario. Yeah. Oh, Oh, gosh. His dick's so small. (laughs) What a way to go. What a way to go. Eventually, someone pulls out a sheet and they cover the body. Cover the dick. Yeah. (laughs) A small sheet. It's a face washer, yeah. (laughs) We then cut to an epilogue that was added to the novel version. It's not in the original magazine version, so if you want to stay true to the magazine version, stop the podcast now, but this is the novel epilogue. Hard to do in the room, but block your ears. (laughs) Yeah, block your ears out there. In the epilogue, Mr. Marvel, the tramp from earlier on, has opened a bar slash inn called The Invisible Man. He's really cashed in on the story. He got to keep some of the money that The Invisible Man stole because they couldn't prove that it was stolen, so he used that to start a bar. And he also makes a guinea a night for telling and performing his story of The Invisible Man. So he puts on a one-man show each night. That's great. He's got his own little fringe venue. Yeah, a little fringe venue, yeah. Yeah. Puts himself on. Is that pub still around? The Invisible Man. Yeah. You, you, can't, you can't see it. Yeah, it's out there. People like, people like Dr. Kemp have come looking for the books that contain the Invisible Man's notes and the, the serum for how to be invisible. But Mr. Kemp tells him, I don't know where they are. They got lost. But that's a lie. He has them. And every Sunday morning, he has a ritual where he closes the blinds, book, brings out the books and just looks at them, thinking about what he'd do if he was invisible. But he's not a science man at all, so there's no way he's going to work it out. Well, so that's all he does. He goes in there. He doesn't even become invisible. He goes in there, closes the blinds, and goes... <laughs> yeah. And he, oh, people knew what I was doing in here, and he just 
calmly reads. Yeah. <laughs> and in, oh, people knew the things I was imagining right now. <laughs> well, the final line is, uh, quoting from Mr. Marvel, once I get the whole of them, Lord, I wouldn't do what he did. I'd just, well... Then he pulled out, pulls out his oh. pipe. <laughs> oh, God. When you say he pulls out his pipe. Yeah. yeah. Starts puffing. <laughs> so to speak. The final line of The Invisible Man is, so he lapses into a dream, the undying, wonderful dream of his life. And though Kemp has fished unceasingly, no human being save the landlord knows those books are there with the subtle secret of invisibility and a dozen other strange secrets written therein. And none other will know of them until he dies. The end. The Invisible Man. H.G. Wells. Really good stuff. You like that? Yeah, really good. For me, H.G. stands for how good Wells. How good? <laughs> how good is that? What, what, what do you think of that? Now we've wrapped up the story. Was it what you were expecting, Phil, from the movie sort of stuff you know about it? Um, I, I was expecting an invisible man, and boy, did the book <laughs> deliver. Yeah, yeah, we came through, we came through. Yeah, a lot more guns than I thought there'd be. Um, I'm very happy to see a mob, as always. <laughs> a few mobs in there, yeah. I mean, it's, it's essentially Frankenstein, isn't it? Frankenstein is about the, um, the creator of a monster who has to destroy his own monster, but I guess he, he's the, Dr. Francis Frankenstein and the monster. Mm. He creates himself and then seeks to destroy the monster he's created. But in doing so... Um, He's killed by the mob, which they do in Frankenstein as well. That's, that's my literate um, that's good interpretation. Stuff. Thank you very that's much. That's good stuff. Come on, that's good stuff. I just couldn't think of a gag, so I yeah. thought I'd... Uh... Well, Matt, how about you? Does it remind you of any books that you've been reading? Yes, it <laughs> does. It reminds me of trying to think of a book. Um, <laughs> thinking of, uh, yes, Where's Wally? Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, he has to... You, you can't see him. Where is he? Yes. It's just like that. There's a mob. There's always there's a, a mob. There's always a mob. Yeah. yeah. There's always too many people. Yeah. I'd love to just one where's Wally where the mob's just beating Wally to death, <laughs> and he's like on the ground and like, oh, there he is, there he is, there he is, <laughs> and his blood is like red and white. <laughs> <laughs> well, the only thing left to do is we always give it a score out of five, as as you've heard it here today. So, Phil, what would you give the Invisible Man? Out of five. Well, with these classic books, I always find you have to you have to judge them on on two sort of scales. One is like the quality and enjoyment of actually reading it, which tends to be quite low, to be honest. I've, I mean, like, I've cut that bit out for you, absolutely. But, yeah. but, but but then you have to think about the legacy. It's such an important book, uh, you know. And it's it's it's, it's um, you know it's created so much stuff since that's part of our our cultural life. Um, so I'm going to give it a four. Four out of so, five, fantastic. Four out of five, yeah. I also, I like, I like how action-packed it is. I like how he punches. I find it's very funny that he just punches everybody. <laughs> yes, I just punch people. Really. I don't know why that's so funny. <laughs> it's just funny that he's punching everyone. Um, and just the, the visual of someone being punched with a hand you can't see. So just someone going, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> and then, like, funny. you know, obviously in the movies they just fake it. That's funny. It's just classic slapstick. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I really like it for that. Um, I, I like the simplicity of how he's just a murderous asshole. That's the problem with my modern stories, especially with all these origin movies, like Cruella de Vil, origin movies. We don't want to know why these people are dickheads. 
I just show me the dickhead. Yeah. <laughs> just make them be dickheads. It's enough. I don't need to know why the dickheads. And this is this is H. G. Wells has nailed that. He's just a dickhead. <laughs> through and through. Thank you. Phil Wang, thank you so much. And Matt, how are you feeling? Yeah, no, I think everything Phil said there was uh, spot on. Um, <laughs> guy's a dickhead, I like that. Uh, yeah, I don't know, what, it's, it doesn't feel like a horror to me. Like, I can't see how that would be turned into a scary movie. Yeah, yeah, I guess if you're getting hit in the face, it's kind of horrible. Because it just feels like things floating is funny. It's funny. Know? This is my problem with Invisible Man as a horror story. It's mainly funny to me. Yeah, yeah. like a man wraps... He, like in the, all the movies, it's like the way it's depicted, it's just a man covered in bandages with sunglasses on. It's funny. That's funny. That's funny. Yeah. And a three and a half stars. Yeah, okay. For the comedy. <laughs> Which I find uh, gun violence to be very funny. Yeah. <laughs> so four from Phil, three and a half from Matt. I'm going to give it a four as well. Now we always give the. Uh, I really, I did enjoy reading it. We always get the audience at the live shows to give a score out of five, and you get to vote with applause. So uh, speak now or forever. Hold your score. Give me a round of applause if you think that was a one. One clap, fantastic. Uh, hard not to take it personally. Okay, uh, that's one. Uh, round of applause for two. Okay. We're going to be here a long time, aren't we? Hey, Dave, you, you said you took that personally. You've just summarised a book. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I try to make it en entertaining. And I got a one. It's all good. Uh, two, two, we've got like two people clapping. Three out of five. Okay, polite, very polite. Four out of five. All right. That's pretty good. Anyone give it four marks, five out of five. A few people really, really enjoy that. Okay, well, I think that's a four from the audience. I'll mark that down in my spreadsheet. <laughs> Which doesn't exist, okay. Oh, but that does bring us to the end of the podcast. Thank you so much, Phil and Matt, for joining me on Book Cheat. Thank you for having me. It's such a blast. Fantastic. And for the people in the room or for people at home, Phil, where can people find you? Have you got anything coming up that you'd like to tell people at home about? Oh, yes. Yeah, so I'm, I'm on tour in the UK um, starting in spring of 2023. UK and Ireland. Um, Ireland for the first time. Uh, yeah. Oh, so excellent. It'll be, yeah, it'll be real fun. Yeah. All right, fantastic. One more time for Phil Wang. Hey, hey thanks. <laughs> and Matt, where can people find you? It's a big drop-off, isn't it? But um, uh, I don't know you can find me on my podcast, uh, Who Knew It with Matt Stewart. Dave's been a guest on it a few times recently. Um, and I'm going to be at the Adelaide Fringe Festival and Melbourne Comedy Festival doing my new show, Ding! <laughs> yeah. Great. I'm going to be there too. Um, my show is called Even Hotter in Real Life. So <laughs> come on down. It's the live crowd can attest to that. Absolutely. Um, thank you so much for one more time for Matt Stewart. Uh, we want to thank the venue 229 for having us here. Alessandro on Sound always does the best job. Thank you so much. Big round of applause. At the end of the show, uh, I always yell, books forever. So please feel free to, to join in with me now on the count of three. Thanks so much. And until next week, I'll say one, two, three, books forever. Awesome. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.